Storytelling saves the world. Storytelling saves the world. With Jessica and Georgia and all their friends, you never know how the story's gonna end. But storytelling saves the world. Storytelling saves the world. Welcome back to the third season of Storytelling Saves the World, a podcast where you can find out more about integrating student movie making into your classroom. I'm one of your hosts, Jessica Pack, and once again, I am here with my fabulously faithful storytelling partner in crime, Georgia Terlahi. Hey, Georgia. Hey, Jessica. Greetings and salutations. Last week was so exciting. We had a fantastic time at Q in Palm Springs. And we were able to present our session called Storytelling for All Equity and SCL Through Movie Making. The participants were so lovely and everyone seemed to enjoy the student samples we were able to share. I'm so glad we had that opportunity to really kind of elevate some of the voices of our kiddos. Um, especially because, you know, we may have had a plethora of tech issues, but we persevered <laughs> and we were able to share some of the really great work that they've created. Um, for listeners not in or around Southern California, um, you'll actually have an opportunity to see us again um, if you are going to ISTE in New Orleans this year. That's where we'll be. I'm super excited for June to roll around, Georgia. I am very excited too because um, I'm excited to meet people that we've been working with at ISTE for the last year virtually, get to see them face to face. I'm not going to lie. I'm a little excited for beignets. Um, I'm a little bit of a foodie. And so um, I will be trying all the things while I'm there as well. So people, things, and also just great ideas to bring back to the classroom. Oh, for sure. I have never met a bread product that I did not fall in love with. So I'm sure that beignets and I are going to be like this by the time we leave. Sister, I feel you. I'm the same way. You know, if I only had to eat one thing, it would probably be bread and salt or bread and sugar. I mean, really, that's all I need. The struggle is real. Like my husband is frequently like, you are aware that food groups are a thing and that it's not just breads, right? And I'm like, mm, on my really? pyramid, bread is like the top half of the pyramid. <laughs> oh, it's so true. Well, listeners, uh, in case you're relatively new to the podcast, Georgia and I bring a range of experiences to the show. I've been teaching middle school for the last 17 years, and my book, Movie Making in the Classroom, was just published by ISTE Books a few months ago. I'm also a California Teacher of the Year. And I have 33 years of classroom experience at the elementary level. Yes, I started teaching when overhead projectors were the rage. I am currently an instructional coach. We've and Jessica and I have been using digital storytelling in our classroom for what about 25 years combined. Oh my goodness, that is a stupidly big number. And yes, it kind of explains why we have such an enduring passion for student movie making and why we're so eager to share with others. So speaking of others, we have a, a pretty cool person coming on the podcast today, right, Georgia? Well, today we have a very special guest, Ryan Kochevar, ed tech specialist at We Video. Welcome to the show, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Oh, we're so happy to have you. We Video is such a part of our lives, so we're happy to have you here. Could you tell us a little about yourself, like what you were doing before you came to We Video, and just yeah, your story. Sure. 
Um, I've been in the education space for about a decade now, maybe a little longer. Uh, started volunteering in middle school and elementary school classrooms, um, thinking about getting my teaching credential. Eventually got the credential and taught third and fourth grade for a very short period of time, a couple years in Albany and Berkeley Unified School Districts up in Northern California. Um, and then I jumped into informal learning. So before coming to WeVideo, I worked at a company called Camp Edmo, and that's a Northern California after school program and summer camp organization uh, focused on STEAM uh, learning and maker centered learning experiences. So I uh, was teaching after school programs, directing summer camps, um, training staff, developing, developing youth, um, uh, our youth counselors and uh, developing the curriculum for camp. So designing um, maker centered learning experiences, which included video production and um, tech lessons. Uh, we did a lot of Minecraft and Roblox programming, <laughs> uh, a lot of blogging. Um, went back to school and um, decided that I, I wanted to uh, pursue educational technologies um, in an advanced degree. So I got a master's in educational technologies from Sonoma State University and found my way to WeVideo. So um, it, it all fit together for me because I ended up meeting um, one of my uh, professors on my thesis committee was a huge advocate of digital storytelling and began to kind of push my research in that direction. And so I ended up finding these really cool points of intersection between maker-centered learning, um, tech, and digital storytelling, and ended up doing a thesis on that. Um, and then that's how I kind of came to, to love the power of story, and, and, and that's what I'm doing here at WeVideo, uh, spreading the word of, of digital storytelling and how, how to get access to that in your classroom. So Ryan, you know, digital storytelling is such a complex endeavor initially when one is starting out. Do you have sort of some recommendations for maybe teachers who are just starting their storytelling journey? Um, yeah, I can speak about my experience because I was brand new to it. Um, when I started working at the uh, summer camp program, I had to fill in for one of our middle school instructors and we were running a film production class. And it was, uh, it was terrifying, if I'm being <laughs> honest with you, because I'd never made a movie before. I didn't know really what these kids expected out of me. And so what I ended up doing was just jumping in and, and trying, um, trying to capture some footage and then make small edits with the students. So we were all learning together. And I think what I took from that experience in terms of how I started on the rest of my journey was to keep it small at the beginning and really focus on things that I wanted to learn with the kids that I was working with. Um, so as we developed more and more of those programs over the years, where I would often start with our instructors in, in their in their camp um, classrooms was, let's talk about what you want to do with the curriculum. What, what do you want to get out of this with your, with the kids you're going to see? And our programs were one week programs, right? So we couldn't do these big, huge projects. We had to think small. And so that's what always drove kind of how I approached it was start small and really start with the kids, come up, do some brainstorms about what kind of films you want to make, what skills you want to learn. Um, are you going to, do you want to go big? Do you want to try to do green screen effects the first week or do you want to, you want to really capture a good story um so so really deciding what those building blocks are going to be um and then coming up with that plan with the kids i found to be a great jumping off point because then i was learning as i was going 
and the students were learning and the other folks that we were training and doing all this cool stuff with were, were learning. And that's, that's exactly what um, translates for me to the K-12 classroom that I see with, with what we're doing now is when I often encounter educators that are looking to get started with Wii video or video production, like, what do you do? How do I jump in? And I tell them, start small, pick out a few skills you want to learn yourself and you want to learn with the students and then start with a good story and build those skills as you capture that story. I think Jessica and I had the same experience of, of starting movie making is we basically jumped in the pool and then figured it out as we went along. There wasn't mm -hmm. really like a big plan before we started. And then you start to figure things out. It's like, yeah, a good story is, is important. Um, mapping out your story is kind of important or you have kids filming everything and there's no continuity and you're like, oh, we've spent a week on this and there's nothing here. The first week, um, I don't, I couldn't tell you what the stories were about that the kids made. I mean, because it was, I jumped ahead too quickly and I just thought, let's make the coolest video rather than the most, you know, cohesive story perhaps. And so, yeah, that was a learning experience to slow down, map the story out, get the, the basic components of that story in place first before you go big. But I think sometimes you have to just jump in because you'll never do anything if you try to pre-plan everything so perfectly. And so, I mean, that that's certainly worked for Jessica and I, I think, is let's just try it and then we'll see what happens. And then we'll figure it out, debrief and, you know, make it better the next time. There's definitely an element of just being brave there for sure, because I feel like that's how we end up sort of in a state of inertia sometimes is when we're, we're too afraid to even jump in. But I like what you're saying about making those projects manageable to start with. Um, yeah. One of the sort of pervasive outlooks about storytelling that we're always grappling with is just the idea that storytelling is something that happens in an elective space or an enrichment mm -hmm. space. It's not really something, you know, that everyone understands immediately can connect to content. So what advice would you have for those teachers who are in a core content classroom mm -hmm. and they're trying to, you know, integrate storytelling in a meaningful way? Yeah. Um, and I, I want to echo your sentiment. I think sometimes the idea of storytelling or video, producing a video or making a, a video uh, gets sort of cordoned off into the art teacher's realm or the journalism class or the media arts classroom. And it can be hard to see how it fits in, in a, a core subject. But what, what I always say is you can really focus on on the what a story is and and that's and that it can be so many different things that you can you can find a story in anything you're doing so i'll give you the example of of, of science right because that's my background i always rely on on my stem experiences but when when we were first thinking about okay how are we going to transform a traditional research project into a steam activity by adding a component of video we thought about the research process as a story, 
right? You're telling a story through the research that you're doing. So you're, you're coming up with your topic, you're establishing what you want to learn about your topic, you're going out and you're finding all of this cool information about it. And then you're crafting a story of what you found and what you learned from that research experience. And, and even hard scientific research always tells a story. There's always a narrative there that, that you're, you're, you're describing and you're putting out there. Um, so uh, the same in, in, in mathematics, right? I, I think a lot of math teachers have a hard time understanding how this fits. And I think the simple act of sharing your thinking is, is a story in itself, the way you've approached a problem, the way that you are uh, looking at um, say a word problem and how you're approaching the solution to that is a story. Um, and so even those small 60 second collect your thoughts on video, show your thinking is a story in itself. So I try to broaden our definition of what a story can be um, so that it makes sense for all kinds of folks that want to do the work in video um, because it really is that broad. It, it can be a story, can be anything. Well, and Jessica and I have mentioned on this podcast and in some of our presentations, the neuroscience of storytelling. I mean, it goes back to cave people painting on the walls and story connects in our brain in a way that nothing else does. So, I mean, there's actually scientific reasoning why story works for any subject, because that's how we remember. In the switch to NGSS, a big mm -hmm. part of NGSS is storylines in science. And so you take a unit and there is a storyline that could definitely be done as a video, as a, a summative assessment at the end of the unit, which, you know, when I was teaching fifth grade, I did often because what a great way for kids to show what they know. For sure. And that's something that, that I think, again, it, it, it seems so like to me being in this space, it's like, well, of course, you offer them a different way to share their thinking. You tell this story about what you're learning or how you're expressing your knowledge. But, you know, oftentimes I have to step back and remember, okay, I think there's a lot of we've done it uh, in, in this certain way and we're going to stay in this comfort zone and I'm not willing to get out of that comfort zone, but just making, uh, raising the awareness that the, uh, that option is there, even in a, a subject like math or science, to share your thinking through video or what you know um, as an assessment, uh, just making them aware that that's even a possibility. But once they is, see is, the engagement level of their students doing <laughs> these projects, I think they'd be sold. I mean, so that they could get past that. Yeah, sometimes it's a little messy and loud, but um, the kids are so engaged. For me, that always trumped everything else that I, they're doing a summative assessment and they're enjoying it. Like that's like huge bang for your buck. That totally is. Like how, how often are kids like, woohoo, a test. I can't wait. This is going to be amazing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, as we're like approaching the post pandemic landscape, um, as you know, everyone's back into in-person classrooms, or at least most schools are, and we're sort of discovering some learning gaps or maybe some instructional content that wasn't fully delivered or even able to be received by students because of various needs. Um, how do you see storytelling kind of helping to level the field or make up some of that ground? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, and that's a, a honestly, it for me, um, I got the opportunity. I was in my master's program with classroom teachers. Um, I had taken a break from my work. Uh, but I got to experience what the distance learning was like um, every week through the stories and experiences of 
the cohort of teachers that I was going through this program with. And, you know, they said a lot of the same things that, that you just kind of highlighted there, the um, were students actually receiving the content? Were, were they able to really absorb what they were learning and sh show truly what they were learning? Um, and now I think we're seeing that there have been some gaps in, in students receiving instruction through that period of time. And what I think storytelling can do to it, it maybe, maybe uh, I don't want to say it's a panacea uh, solution for everything out there, but I think this, this, what, it, what it can offer is the return to centering the student's experience and their, their own perspectives on their learning. And what story, what a story can do is bring out things from our, our kids that we might not have known was there. And so if you're, if you're activating these parts of their brain that are really drawing on what they've actually lived and what they've actually experienced, then I think there, there is a huge value in um, using that to gain an understanding of where students are at and how you, we might be able to close the gap or provide a deeper instruction for 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 that that student and i think it really a personal experience right telling a story is a personal experience and so anytime you can personalize what you're doing i think that's that's huge in, in closing some of those 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 gaps that I, I think do really exist and you hear from teachers all the time that i do about how um how that affected their students so um yeah i think that's that's something that where the storytelling can can be in that space is really focusing on that lived experience and allowing a student to share their voice and share their lives. Well, and to me, that sounds a lot like culturally responsive teaching. It sounds like SEL within the framework of curriculum, as opposed to being a set aside emotional skill lesson, we can actually really address a lot of those student needs just by having this type of dynamic of storytelling in the classroom. That's wonderful. And it's also addressing, you know, UDL because the mm. students are having a choice, you know, even though you have parameters for what your project is, they still get a lot of choice in that. And as you said, it brings out their voice and makes them reflective and all those things that we hope happen within a UDL lesson. So it like it checks all the boxes in so many areas. Um, I know for us, for sure. I was doing the the project that I did for for my thesis was on was using Scratch, which is the did the coding platform. And instead of doing game design through that, I did storytelling. So the students were, were focusing on personal narrative and they were using code to tell a story. And it was during um, the, the, we were still quarantined at that point in, in Northern California schools were still closed. And I felt like it really allowed students to share some of their experiences that they'd have been having in school because they were allowed to create a narrative about, um, basically whatever they wanted there were some parameters but it was kind of like just share a story about you and an experience you've had in school um and so I got some really um interesting stories and I've and, and the responses and when I was talking to these kids like we've we've not been asked to do this in in school and so it was providing and I'm not sure if you know because of the remote learning and the amount of instructional minutes that were reduced but uh seeing them be able to express something about themselves that they hadn't previously through a story was was a was a, a massive aha moment for me. Could you break that down a little bit for um, a person who hasn't done use Scratch before? Sure. How they would do a story in Scratch with code? 
Like I, I'm still, I'm trying to wrap my head around that. Um, yeah, I, I, uh, so scratch, there are some features in the tool that allow you to, um, upload backgrounds or choose virtual backgrounds. So what yeah. we did a lot was we used the um, switch backdrop features. There's a code block in there that allows you to switch a backdrop um, either by pressing like the space bar on your computer or after a certain number of seconds or after speech bubbles are done, you know, are finished kind of running through this, that script. And it drives the story through backdrops or you can create dialogue. They have text uh, code blocks that you can make events for, right? Like you press the return key and then your script that you wrote in your text box basically runs over whatever character is speaking. Um, and then there are, you know, different uh, images you can pull in or different avatars that you can show and hide in there. So as they work their way through the backdrops or the dialogue and new characters can show up, uh, disappear and um it's really a fantastic feature of scratch that's underutilized that i think uh, a lot of um folks that use scratch don't don't quite like it's not immediately obvious that you can tell a story in there but it's it's quite uh um simple once you get into the mechanics of it and we and made did, stories in a couple of weeks yeah did you find students um were able to like synthesize all of that fairly easily once they learned basic mechanics of scratch like did did it resonate with them to make a story in there? Yes, because the, they were bought in because they love Scratch. So they were they came to the workshop because they knew Scratch and they'd used it previously to design games. And then they uh, some of them were hesitant about telling a story. They really just wanted to design a game. But once once it was like, tell this story however you see yourself telling it and design your story with the code however you want it, all, I, all the requirement was was that it, it'd be a certain number of what I called frames or backdrops that, and, and you had to have some dialogue that the story needed to at least have some sort of point to it. So if people understood what it was, like tell me something about yourself or, or whatnot. Uh, and they were bought in because one, they love scratch and two, they found it. So I did many lessons with the code to make sure that they could access the skills to be able to put the code together to make the story go. Um, but once they, understood how the mechanics of the storytelling worked it was uh fairly easy for them fifth grade this were fifth graders just to make sure we uh capture the age there uh they were fair it was fairly quickly put together a story some quicker than others because some had more experience with it um but yeah once they understood the mechanics it was quite easy to get them to um change backdrops and add and show and hide avatars and use the text box for dialogue I love That's this so much because this is a really great example of valuing digital age skills over the actual content because the content doesn't really matter, right? It, what matters is all that problem solving, just the skill of telling a story from start to finish. There probably was a ton of collaboration, right? Like kids helping each other problem solve. Um, so I did this over Zoom, so I couldn't tell because um, the chat, I didn't, the, I would co recorded all the sessions right? It was part of like, I was going to go back and look at all the sessions and I was studying student moves in Zoom and like how they would react to the story and if they would chat with one another or collaborate. And so I tried putting them in breakout rooms and recording the breakout rooms and I wasn't getting a lot, 
But what I discovered, so I ended up doing one-on-one interviews with the kids because I wanted to know more. And I felt like, okay, if I get them in a one-on-one interview, I'm going to really understand what they were doing. And it turns out that they were collaborating and they were using the chat features, but it wasn't recording. Chats between the students weren't, wasn't being captured on my end. And so I had students saying like, oh yeah, we were chatting all the time. And I ended up finding out that two of them had connected offline and were helping each other with their stories. So it was like, but they were bouncing ideas off of one another and uh, communicating through um, the Scratch has a community sort of peer to peer community platform that they were connecting through. Um, So there's a a huge amount of collaboration happening that I'm glad I decided to interview the the kids because I never would have been able to see what was going on. And, you know, I'd done scratch in a physical classroom before and saw how collaborative it is and how easy it is to just lean over to your partner that's working on scratch and look at what they're doing or look at their code or share ideas. But uh, I was, I was a little disappointed because I couldn't see it, but I'm happy it was, it ended up happening. So yeah, they were, they were, it was a ton of collaboration. It's great. Well, and that's always the power that Jessica and I have always talked about is the um, collaboration, the 21st century skills that kids learn. They don't even realize they're learning it, which right. what makes it so fantastic. You know, it's like all those skills are in there and they're doing something they love. So there's so much power in that kind of work because it's problem solving, learning how to communicate with people that maybe wouldn't be your best friends normally, but you're trying, you have a common goal. And so that's always very exciting to see that happen. So um, I, back to your role at WeVideo, um, I'm just curious, do you go to school sites or districts to do workshops? How do teachers connect with you? Um, we haven't since I started. I'm, I still consider myself pretty brand new. I, I started in October of the last year and going oh. to school sites here is not yet a possibility um, in terms of getting the access that we'd like. Uh, we, we do have folks that go out and give workshops um it's just not been it's more of a kind of a support role we're onboarding teachers and things like that for me um i we're, we're developing currently a um series of of workshops that will be able to capture some of the the things that i'm doing is developing what the benefits of implementing multimedia creation and video editing is in your classroom space. So connecting the how to do it to the why. Um, and that's something that we hope to get back to in the future is really going out and offering school site PD, engaging with educators in person. I was so thrilled to be at Q and TCEA this past few months because I got to talk with folks in person and I got to see some conference sessions and give a conference session about about the benefits and how the, from my perspective and how, how we see why this should be happening in the classroom. Um, so we haven't been out yet for me specifically, but that's something that's going to be happening in the future more and more. That's so awesome. I love that there's like more digital storytelling evangelism out there happening for <laughs> sure. <laughs> we're, they were so passionate about this. We've both been storytellers for gosh, over a decade for sure. So we just have seen so many wonderful things with our kids. And I love that there are more and more classrooms coming on board. Absolutely. And it's just a powerful way to, to see what, to see the student's perspective. That's, that's like my biggest thing is, and, and my, I would say formal training, but all of the work I've done, most of it in video production has been on personal narrative. So that sort of personalized aspect 
of telling a story from the student's perspective has just opened so many ideas about why this is important and um, how we can get people to try it. See, yeah, and jump in it. the pool. <laughs> yeah, jump in the pool. Jump in the pool. <laughs> yeah. Well, if people would like to connect with you, where can I, our listeners find you, Ryan? Um, I'm on Twitter at RK from WeVideo. Um, but you can also email me, RyanK at WeVideo.com. Um, I'd love to connect with as many folks that want to on talk storytelling or WeVideo in general, just because we're, we're that's what, that's what drives my passion to continue doing this work is seeing the amazing things people are doing and hearing about all of the things that people want to do that they might need help doing and being able to, to provide uh, some ideas or just, you know, talk, talk video. I love it. That's perfect. All right. Well, Hey, Ryan, do you think we could convince you to stay around for a minute and play a couple of our favorite games with us? Would you be game for that? Yes, I definitely. Former camp person, games, let's go. All right. Well, Georgia, it sounds like it's time for 5 and 60. Do you want to give a rundown on what exactly that is? Yes. So we're going to ask you five questions. Jessica and I will go back and forth. You say the first thing that comes into your head, and then we move on to the next one. Okay. <laughs> All right. Ready for question number one. What is your go-to drink or activity after a long day of digital storytelling? Oh, um, actually, I, gosh, um, just vegging and watching some good Netflix, honestly. <laughs> what are you most enjoying about your job? Uh, talking with teachers. Who is someone that storytelling teachers absolutely must follow on social media? Oh, gosh. Um, well, I want to say Jessica. <laughs> She's a great follow. Uh, awesome. I'll take it. Yeah. Uh, what is the funniest thing a kid or teacher has said to you so far this year? My son, I recorded a video with him and um, my my daughter was watching. The, we were doing green screen and she came up to me and she's three and we were doing we were adding the green screen back. The we were taking the green screen out and she said, uh, Daddy, why is Jackson swimming in the aquarium? <laughs> ah, that's cute. I love it. <laughs> I want to swim in the aquarium. <laughs> All right, last question. What is the coolest place you've traveled with WeVideo? Oh, uh, probably probably Palm Springs, actually. That was the only other place I've traveled. I've only been twice, two to two places. And I think Palm Springs was the best. It was either between Palm Springs or Dallas. Palm Are Springs. you going to New Orleans in June? Yep, we'll be, in, we'll be in New Orleans in June okay. for sure. I think New Orleans will probably end up topping Palm Springs, but that's okay. Yeah. That might jump uh, Palm Springs yeah. for sure, yeah. <laughs> For well, sure. we will see you there for sure. I'm really awesome. excited to just be able to connect with everybody in person again at ISTE. Like, it's such a big, awesome event. Have you been before? I've never been. I'm so excited to get to go. I've had professors that have gone in the past and obviously colleagues here, and they, they just say how uh, amazing it is. So, um, and we haven't been since, I mean, the, the in person, the last in person one I think was in Philadelphia in 2019. So, yeah, I think everybody is really excited to go this year for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, Jessica and I have only connected with ITSD during virtual world, so we've never been in person. So we're excited to meet the people we've been working with the last two years. Yes, absolutely. 
I, I did go to one in-person one before, but that was like one of those magical unicorn moments where your school actually pays for it. And they're like, <laughs> yeah, new car. Just kidding. It's ISTE. And I was like, I'll take it. Like yeah. that was like hands down best thing ever for sure. But well, totally we, right. That's a unicorn moment. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh my gosh. Totally. In public education? Yeah, for, for sure. sure. <laughs> yeah. You barely get lunch vouchers. Let's be honest. <laughs> Speaking of lunch, do you want to hear the lunch menu at my husband's school today? What was it? A tuna fish sandwich, refried beans, milk, and a cookie. I have never heard foods that like don't go together quite so well as those don't go together. Cleaning out the pantry sort of lunch, right? Let's see what we have. Is it like spring break next week or something? Yeah, it is spring break. It is actually. Uh, good call. I did not put that together until you just said it. So I think you're uh, the winner for sure. I, I can't get my head around tuna fish and refried beans. That they were together. <laughs> they weren't like an option, like tuna fish or refried beans. I or... think it's like, I think it's like compartmentalized plates, you know, and you get what you get in the square. Very good. <laughs> good. Uh, well, this is going to definitely connect to our next game, which may end up sounding a little bit like the audio version of tuna fish sandwiches and refried beans, but we like to play it nonetheless. So Georgia, do you want to give Ryan a rundown on this one? Yes, Ryan. I have three magical cards that say, I, I can't say it, say beginning, middle and end. And I'm like three card montying them behind my back <laughs> and I will pick for you, I'm not looking, and it will decide who has beginning, middle, and end for a fabulous story. So Ryan, you are going to be the beginning. Oh boy. <laughs> no, no pressure, no pressure. And Jessica, you are going to be the middle. Okay, challenge accepted. <laughs> She's like, everyone wants the middle. The middle is yeah. an easy <laughs> one. It's like, Do anything. <laughs> and that leads me to wrap it all up, which uh, last couple of times I've had to do that, which successfully or not. I don't know. (laughs) So here are our two storymatic things. So we have a person who believes in fairies. Okay. Our place or thing is a wedding person. So just, just for context, um, each of us get 20 seconds and we build the story. So you do not have to do all the things in the intro. You do what you can. Jessica and I will, you know, we'll try to build the rest. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So okay. a person who believes in fairies and a wedding. 60 and seconds. And the timer starts now. Okay. I was at this wedding and it was a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend. And they were getting married in this beautiful location in, in the woods. And it was gorgeous. They were around a well and the well was sparkling and it was absolutely amazing. And you'll never believe it. The efficient of this wedding was the fairy that I had dreamed about the other night. And I couldn't imagine that this was there. And I said, I turned to the person next to me and I said, do you see this fairy that's officiating the wedding? And they didn't believe me. They, they didn't at all believe me. And it was there right in front of me. And I couldn't, I couldn't convince my partner that this fairy existed and was marrying these two people. And so what should I do? I asked myself, maybe I can try to capture a little bit of video here because I could get paid by a tabloid. I mean, who knows? Fairies, Sasquatch, it's kind of all the same kit and caboodle. So I'm going to go ahead and try to get a little bit of video of this particular fairy. And that's when I pulled out my cell phone, hit record, and 
as I recorded, there was nothing on the screen. I could see the fairy with my eyes, but there was nothing on the screen. And I realized that these fairies must have like similar characteristics to vampires and couldn't be recorded. So I, I walked up to the fairy very quietly to try to touch it to make sure it was real. And the fairy screamed, get back to your seat. I'm trying to perform a wedding. That was the end. Yay. <laughs> I'm always surprised like where things end up and I'm like would I be okay with a fairy officiating a wedding and yelling at me like that seems like two things that shouldn't happen at the same time right it's just what makes it magical <laughs> that's true <laughs> you know what else is magical how often we go ridiculously over time <laughs> telling these stories <laughs> Oops. <laughs> I, I'm going to have to get cards to hold up like when your 20 seconds are over to pass that. We'll, we'll get better at two it. minutes. Was that two yeah. minutes? Two yeah, minutes. I don't think we've ever met a time benchmark in our lives. <laughs> no, we have not. Which probably says something way existential about us. We'll let you know when we figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> it's just what good storytellers do. You never abide by time in a good story. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Well, thank you so much for joining us on Storytelling Saves the World, Ryan. Our show notes can be found on our website, storytellingsavestheworld.com. And hey, if you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud and give us a review. And if you have an idea for our podcast, please email us via, via the contact form on our website, We'd love to hear from you. Again, that's storytellingsavestheworld.com. Until next time, What's your story? <laughs>